Assalamu alaikum. Welcome and thank you for downloading the Ministry of Dawah podcast. Search for us on Facebook and on YouTube. This week's topic is the signs of victory. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen As-salatu wa salam ala Sayyidil Mursaleen wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Qala Allahu Ta'ala fi kitabil majid Ba'da'udhu billahi minash shaytan al-rajim Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Inna Allah la yughayiru ma biqawmin hatta yughayiru ma bi'anfusihim Allah Azawajal he said in the Quran uh, In a verse which is often quoted when we talk about the subject of change Okay Allah said Allah does not change the situation of any nation or any qawm, any people until they all make a change within themselves okay so in this verse Allah is talking about the nature of change how change comes about in the world and today I've chosen this verse to discuss this topic that many of you have been watching the news or you may have, I'm sure in the last year you would have heard of Revolutions, what's happening in Tunisia, Egypt A lot of people were watching BBC, CNN Seeing like hundreds of thousands of people In the Tahrir Square in Egypt chanting Okay, You may have seen all of those things right? So some of us may be thinking What's going on? Right? In the last year, why is this happening? Does it, does it give us any indication? Because these people in those countries are Muslims So is it anything to do with me? Does it any, have any relevance to my life? And is there anything going to happen in future? What's going to happen in future? And bi'idhnillah, I want to take this subject. And in fact, it's a subject a lot of people are talking about. Time magazine is one of the big famous magazines on the front cover. Recently, they chosen, they choose every year like the most you know, influential person in that year. And they put a you know, photo or picture of somebody wearing maybe a scarf like the brother with his face covered. And they put the year of the protester. Right? So meaning that in this year, there's been a lot of, we've seen the revolution sparking in Tunisia, then in Egypt, then we saw what happened in Libya, now what's happening in Syria. Okay, where still it's ongoing, many Muslims are dying, and the government unfortunately is harshly clamping down and killing more than 5,000 people is reported now. So, first point I want to raise is that we may be thinking that we are... You know, in this area, King's Cross, thousands of miles away from what's happening in those countries. You know, what's it going to do with us? You know, I'm more bothered about who's winning in the football. I'm more bothered about which movie is going to come on in Christmas time. Right? We need to realize that, hang on, as Muslims, we have a identity. If we believe in the Quran, if we, be, we, we pray, we believe in Islam, okay, we have an identity and we have a reference point. We refer to what Allah you know, the creator of the universe has told us. And his messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what he's told us. So, I wanted to mention a hadith. You may or may not have heard of it before. That I'm sure many of you know at least about the Kaaba in Mecca. We know about the Kaaba where every time people have just come back from Hajj recently. You know, it is the most sacred place in Islam where people face, we all face when we're praying our salah. Okay, when we are praying our daily prayers. Rasulullah when he was doing tawaf around the Kaaba, okay, he pointed to it and he said, Ma'adamaki, how great you are. Wama ashrafiki, how blessed you are. Wama ajmalaki, how beautiful you are. Wala damul Muslim, but the blood of the Muslim 
is more worth than you and your surroundings. Okay? So the Messenger in this hadith, he's telling us that the blood of Muslims for us, we are one brotherhood. Okay? We see ourselves as one family. So if something's happening in Libya and Muslims are dying, we should think about it more than we think about the next football match. More than we think about what movie is coming on. Right? Because it's like, imagine if the Kaaba was attacked. It's like that, so serious. The blood of the Muslim is worth more than that. Right? So let us think about these revolutions. What's happening? I'm going to briefly describe that. And then we're going to talk about some lessons we can learn. And some signs of victory coming for Islam. These revolutions started as the brother mentioned. You know, in the last few decades in the Muslim world. You know, and by the way, these countries, some of them, Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria, they're not too far away. A lot of people go for holiday, Al-Ghaf, you may have heard people go holiday, right? Al-Ghaf, Algeria, Morocco, all of these. They're not too far away because if you go from Europe, from Spain, you just go across the channel, you're in North Africa. People go for holiday all the time, right? So, what happened in, in, in Tunisia is we know, unfortunately, for many, many years, okay, in our lands, after the First World War, and even started before that, the Muslim lands were sort of taken over, carved up, okay, by the colonial forces. I'm sure some of you do the history lessons. You know about what happened in the First World War, what happened after that. That they took over our lands, and they split them up, divided them, and they put their own people, their own sort of agents in power in these countries. Okay? And what we saw after that is that they started to remove Islam from the system, from the government. To the extent, you know, all of us, we know that in France, there's a big deal about hijab being banned, right? You know about that? I'm sure. Do you know Tunisia, which is a Muslim country, 99 or whatever percent, Muslim country, hijab was banned first, before France. Right? Maybe we didn't know that. Okay? In the universities, in public institutions, it was banned. Because the government, although they were Muslim in name, although the people are Muslim, yes, the government was totally anti-Islam. Okay? They saw Islam as a threat to themselves. Okay? So they were very harsh. Not only that, the government in these countries, you know, they, many of these countries, what the governments do is that they siphon off a lot of the money for their own personal fortune. You hear in the paper some crazy stories, some Arab prince, he donated so many million to this zoo, or any boat, you know, you know a, a boat of gold, made out of you know, gold, all sorts of crazy things you hear in the papers, right? Unfortunately, this is the reality. In these countries, the, the governments are very corrupt. Okay, they are not the ruling from a sincere point. They're not, they're not for their own people. They're for their own what? Money, for their own interests. So what happened is that in these countries for years and years and years and years, Muslims have been facing oppression. And they, many of the general people are poor. Okay, you may see those guys sitting in the, the big palaces, but the man on the street, you know, he's trying to earn a living in the market. So what happened in Tunisia... There was a brother, his name was Muhammad Bazizi, on the 17th of December. What occurred actually is, he was only 26 years old, right? So he's younger than me, right? He's not that old. He was a youth. He was trying to earn a living, 
he operated a vegetable cart for seven years. Okay. And what occurred is the policewoman, because unfortunately, like some of us from Bangladesh, Pakistan, India, wherever, if you ever go back home, you know it's very corrupt, the system. Everyone wants a bribe, even when you come to the airport. Just to get out, you want a bribe. Right? <laughs> just to get out. Just to, so, you know, I've come here to the country, they start creating issues, there's something wrong in your passport. They even said, you know, to be blatantly before, in one of these places, that, you know, maybe give us some gift for chai pani, for some, you know, tea. And they use all these type of terms, right? So there's pure corruption in the system. So a policewoman confiscated his car. And he's trying to earn a living, he's selling vegetables. Took his car, okay, and basically he went to complain. They never listened to his complaint, okay. They fobbed him off, all the officials there, and they started to put a fine on him, right. And they started to do all of this. And to that extent, the policewoman started to abuse his dead father, his deceased father, right. They're very arrogant. You know, they think they're the boss, right. So a very arrogant type of attitude. So what occurred is this man... He became so upset. And if somebody imagine, it's not, it's not just about his vegetable cart. That's not the issue, right? He was earning a very low amount of money. Okay? He was earning, you know, only a, you know, a day's wages equivalent to $7, which is like, you know, how many pounds? Like, five, six quid, right? That's what his day's wages were, right? So he, he, he was a poor guy. And in return, he became so upset that he, you know, Put himself on fire as a protest, self-immolation. They call it, right? Put himself on fire. That's a huge thing. Imagine now. Remember what the Prophet has said earlier: the blood of the Muslim. Right? So we need to think he's our brother. Now, why would he do that? Imagine yourself in that situation, right? In that type of hardship, okay? In that type of difficulty. I'm sure you know all of the, who's watched Slumdog Millionaire here, yeah. right? Everyone, right? Virtually. So I'm sure you have some sort of idea of poverty, difficulty, and all of those things. That's India. But the similar reality exists in the Muslim world. In Egypt, that's similar reality. You have ghettos, slums, poverty, difficulty, right? So that exists in our lands. And at the same time, you see all the government officials driving around in their Mercs and BMWs, and right? You see the corruption. So we have to put ourselves in that situation and realize this incident then sparked because the people in general feel this problem but for a long time they were afraid right why are they afraid because in those countries it's not like in other places where you can speak and nothing's going to happen to you in those countries if you speak openly what happens you get arrested i remember one of my good friends he went to tunisia with his wife for a holiday his wife wears hijab you know the islamic dress alhamdulillah he said that just there from uk right he went to Tunisia, they're just going sightseeing, he got stopped by the police. He got taken into the police station. What are you doing here? Why is she wearing this? Well, all of these... I'm come from the UK, well, what, you know, they started to suspect because he's Islamic. Right? And she's wearing an Islamic dress, the secret police get involved. Right? So very bad situation. So... This led to a spark which throughout the whole of Tunisia people started to protest because the president there, Zainal Abidin bin Ali, he was there for 23 years ruling, right? Dictator, just ruling like the Pharaoh, like the Pharaoh, right? So 
we saw this revolution. Eventually, he had to run away, run away to Saudi Arabia. Unfortunately, again, they helped, you know, they helped him. Okay, because you know, you are, you know, uh, the criminals are brothers, right? <laughs> criminals help each other. Okay, so we see the situation where the Muslims stood up. So they they started to realize that we can protest, we can stand up. The same thing happened in Egypt. In Egypt, Mubarak, right? The the Pharaoh of Egypt, the ruler of Egypt. Similar thing. He was a dictator for so many years. Okay, such a harsh. In there, imagine, you know, many of us go to the mosque regularly, right? In Egypt, I know brothers personally, Egyptian brothers who have told me, in the past, if you go to the mosque regular, imagine you go five times a day. What would happen? Your name goes on a register, secret police. You start getting followed. You start getting questioned, why are you going to the mosque? It's a Muslim country, everyone's a Muslim, majority. This is the type of oppression that we have in these countries. So eventually we saw an uproar, alhamdulillah, the Muslims stood up, that shackle of fear because they were so afraid before. They started to stand up and we saw it wasn't easy, they got shot, many people got killed. Right? The you know, military came onto the streets. They started to shoot people, it's still going on in Syria, as I mentioned. So we have to realize that some of the lessons we can learn, this is occurring in our own lifetime. One of the biggest lessons is that, alhamdulillah, the Muslims have started to realize their duty of standing for the truth, regardless of the consequences. Rasul he said in a hadith, Afdalul jihad, kalimatul haq in the Sultan al-Jair. The highest jihad, the highest form of struggle is what? Is the word of truth against the tyrant rulers, against the corrupt rulers. And this is what the Muslims are doing now. They've started to realize that we need to struggle. We can't remain silent and just accept that. We have to stand up. And we see this is ongoing, as I mentioned in Syria, the situation continues there. I want to now come back to that verse that I started with on the topic of change. Okay, Allah Azza wa Jal in this verse is telling us about the nature of change. Okay, Imam Al Qurtubi, one of the famous commentators of the Quran, one of the famous scholars, he wrote in his tafsir, Allah has informed us that in this verse that He does not change what is in a qawm, in a people, until the change takes place from them. So Allah is talking about the nature of the reality. Change is not going to happen until Muslims and take it into their own hands. Okay, and they start standing up and working for that change. And we know Allah is talking about any qawm. This is in, in reality even for the non-Muslims. Allah is talking about this is a general rule. The ulama, the scholars, they say this is a general rule that it is mutlaq, it is absolute, it applies to the Muslim or the non-Muslim nation. And that's true, we see even in their countries when they have revolutions or changes in the past when we see you know a particular nation is overthrown, like in Serbia we had... Milosevic, he was overthrown. What happens? Again, it's because the people make some sort of change. So Allah is talking about the nature of the reality here. Now, this change, one of the big lessons that we learn is that fear is a barrier to change. Okay, fear. And this is how the Muslim governments try to control their nation. If you read the story in the Quran of the Pharaoh, the Fir'aun. Some of us even without reading the Quran know that story. Okay? Because it's general in the society. People talk about, right? We maybe watch a movie or whatever. That the Fir'aun, he controlled his people by fear. 
Okay, the same situation. In Syria, I'll give you an example. One of my friends, okay, he's a Syrian brother. He told me that he goes in the past, Wallahi, even to speak openly with my own father, we are so afraid of the situation, talking about Islam, talking about these things, that people are listening, you'll get arrested. You have known so many, his cousin was arrested for no reason, and put, he was tortured, okay? They are so afraid that they will not even speak. That used to be the case, okay? Now what's happening in these revolutions that they've changed started to come. We are seeing the seeds, that's why the t- title of the talk is the signs of victory. We do not have the full victory yet. We are seeing some signs of that, okay? Rasul he told us in a hadith, any people amongst whom the sins are committed and they should change that situation, but they do not do that, what happens? Allah will bring about upon them an adab, a punishment that engulfs all of them. So yani in Islam, we have to stand up, stand up for justice, stand up for truth. You cannot remain silent when the oppression is taking place. So that is a duty for the Muslims. Alhamdulillah, the Muslims have started to wake up. It is the beginning of that story in this last year we have seen. Okay? The Prophet ﷺ, he again he told us directly about the tyrant rulers. He said, nafsi by in whose hand is my soul. The Prophet is swearing by himself, by, by Allah, by in whose hand is my soul. Okay? Latamurunna bil ma'roof. You must enjoin what is good. anil munkar. And you must forbid what is evil. And you must restrain the hand of the tyrant ruler. Okay? And force him to the haq. Otherwise, to the truth. Otherwise, Allah will bring upon you a great punishment. So, yani, this situation, the Muslims have started to realize, we must do the good. We must forbid the evil. They've started to stand up. And we, let's, take, let's listen to some of the slogans. The main slogan, I'm sure some of us may have heard it in the, on the TVs. The people, what are they shouting? In Tahrir Square, in Tunisia, even in Syria, what is that? It's a very common slogan. People, they say, Al-Shab, you read Isqat al Nidam. Okay? The people demand the change of the Nidam, the system. That's the general call. Everyone wants a change of, they are fed up of this oppression. Okay? Now, Alhamdulillah, we see that that's one step. Okay? We see one step forward. And amongst those people, there are some also calling for the true change, which is a truly Islamic system, a system of justice. Many of the people in general have the strong Islamic sentiments, but they may not be exactly clear what type of government should we have. They're not very clear because they don't have ilm, they don't have the knowledge. Okay, for so many years, if you live in that type of environment, it is expected, okay, that you're not going to have a true good understanding of Islam. Because even speaking about Islam in that way publicly is banned in those countries. Okay? So we saw that now even the ulama, even the famous scholars in Egypt, even in Yemen, before when they talk about an Islamic government, an Islamic khilafah, an is- Dawla Islamiyah, Dar al-Islam, these terms, before many of the scholars themselves were afraid of talking that language. Privately, they would agree, yes brother, I agree, we should rule according to what is in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, of course. Allah did not reveal the Qur'an just to lay on the shelf and to be recited in Ramadan or in Salah. He, he said, لِتَحْكُمُ بَيْنَ nas To rule the people. 
Okay, Allah has revealed the Qur'an for a purpose, to govern the affairs of a country, to solve all the problems. In the Qur'an is a solution for every problem. Okay, so Allah has revealed it for that. So many of the ulama in the past, they would say, yes brother, you are right. But publicly they are a bit afraid. Many, some of them very afraid. Especially if they're in Egypt, in Syria, they will not openly talk. Now, Alhamdulillah, one of the things we are seeing is that type of fear is going away. Ulama openly are speaking, even one of the top scholars in Yemen, in Egypt, even from the member, talking in Juma openly about these subjects. So, this change has started to come about. Okay? And we need to realize, what's going to solve this problem is not just the change of a face. You change Mubarak and put Tantawi. You change one man and put another man. That's not going to change the system. That's why people went back to the Tahrir Square in Egypt recently and again had a problem. Why? Because they realized there's no real change happening at this moment. They, okay, one ruler is gone but the system is still corrupt. The system is not Islamic. The system is still what? Subservient to other nations, the colonial powers. Okay? So there's no real change that has happened. It's just a change of the face. Okay? So Muslims now, they have to work for the true change. One of the famous companions, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, and this is a beautiful statement, he's explaining our situation. He said, the people in the Ummah will not suffer even if they were oppressors and sinful. So even if the general men and the general women themselves were sinful, they will not suffer if the rulers were guided and were guiding. If the rulers over them were ruling by Islam, even if you have some people who are corrupt, that type of oppression will not occur. Then he talked about the opposite situation. But the people in the Ummah will suffer and perish even if they were guided so even if they're praying salah, even if they're good Muslims, and were guiding, if the rulers were oppressors and sinful. Okay? So this is the situation today. That even if Muslims are good personally, look at the mosques in the Muslim world are full. And if people want Islam, okay, maybe they're not fully in, in, in the best model, but still, we have a lot of practicing Muslims there, yet the rulers are corrupt. Okay? The rulers are corrupt. And Rasul said, you know, every matter has a thing that spoils it. And what spoils this deen is the evil rulers. Okay? So this is the situation that we are working to change. And alhamdulillah, there is a struggle going on in all of these lands to bring back. What? What did Rasul he said? Alaykum bi sunnati, follow my sunnah. Wa sunnati khulafa rashidin wa mahdeen. Follow my example, my sunnah. My footsteps and the example of the Khulafa al-Rashidin. We hear their names in the Khutbah Juma. Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. Okay, Umar ibn khattab Uthman ibn Affan. Ali ibn Abi Talib. May Allah be pleased with all of them. That we hear these names. These are the best model of government. The Khulafa al-Rashidin. So what we the Muslims should work for is that system. Now, are there any signs that that's going to come back? Okay. In the last part of my talk, I want to focus upon some signs. So it is not just all depressing news that we see our situation is in Syria, this many people being killed. You know, because sometimes we can lose hope. Okay, Allah Himself told us in the Quran, Allah has given a wa'ada, a promise to those among you who believe and do the righteous deeds, 
What? لَيَسْتَخْلِفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ He will make them the inheritors of power, khalifas on the earth, as he did to those before them. And he will change the situation of difficulty and fear to one of security and peace. Okay? So Allah Azza wa Jal, He's told us, He's given a promise that that's going to happen. And if we look at the hadith, to look at the narrations from Rasul Sallallahu He has told us, and that the narrations, in fact, one of the scholars, he has compiled all of the narrations about victory, and about the return of the Khilafah, the return of the Islamic State. And he compiled these narrations, and he has proved that they'll reach the level of what we call mutawatir, the highest level in hadith. Or mutawatir ma'anawi, by meaning that they are definitive. Okay? That there are so many narrations talking about the return of Islam and the Islamic government and the Islamic system that it is indisputable fact. Okay? As an example, he said in his research, he said, it is narrated from 25 Sahaba who narrated to 39 Tabi'een who narrated to 62 Tabi Tabi'een. Yani it is so, the narration has so much strength in it that we have to believe in that. Okay? That Islam will return and the Islamic State will turn. Now I'm going to talk about some ahadith which no, may not be so commonly known. I know many of the brothers who come regularly, they know the common ones. Like the famous hadith in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad. Rasulullah talked about ثُمَّ تَكُونُ خِلَافَةً عَلَى مِنْ حَاجِ النَّبُوَةً Again, the Islamic State, the Khilafah will come on the path of the Prophethood. He talked about that. I'm sure we know about those things. However, there are some other narrations which this uh, Shaykh had compiled in his research which are very good for us to look at. And they are all authentic. In the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, Tamim al-Dari radiallahu anhi narrated that Rasulullah said, Verily this matter, Islam, will reach where day and night have reached. It will not leave a house of mother, mother means mud or clay, or a house of wabar, meaning fur of camels or goats, or tents. Except that Allah will bring it into this deen, either with the honor of the honored one, or the disgrace of the disgraced one. Honor with which Allah honors Islam, and disgrace with what Allah disgraces kufr, disbelief. This hadith, okay, what does it mean? That is saying Islam will enter every house in the world. What does it mean? Does it mean everyone in the world will become a Muslim? No. The scholars and in fact the narrator of the hadith, Tamim al-Dari radiallahu one of the famous companions, he when narrated this hadith, he said, and I understand this to mean, that Islam, because he's talking about the izza for Islam, the dominance for Islam, and in fact another narration by Al-Bayhiqi, the end of the hadith says, or he will disgrace them and they will submit to its authority. In fact another hadith, the end of it said they will submit to the authority of Islam. So what it means that in the end every house in the world will come under the Islamic State's rule. Okay, and many countries in the past, that's not the case. The whole of the Western world has never been ruled by Islam before. So that is something in the future. Okay? That is something that is coming. And it is not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. Okay? So sometimes, you know, when we say inshallah, it's a matter of, you know, brother, I'll come to the talk here next, next weekend, yeah, inshallah. It's one of those ones, right? <laughs> you know, people have inshallah, which is a bit loose. Right? They do not really mean from the heart. Okay? But we know with conviction that it is coming back. Okay, it is a matter of when. Alright? So when we look at these narrations, a few others, just to give us some of that vision. There's a beautiful hadith in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad again. 
injustice will not remain dormant after me for long before it comes out. Where every time something of injustice comes out, the same amount of justice disappears. Until people will be born into a world who know nothing other than it. Subhanallah. Rasulullah is talking about after me slowly, it's not straight away, slowly injustice dhulm, will start coming about. And slowly justice will start vanishing. Meaning, we saw after the time of the Prophet, we had the Khulafa Rashidin. But slowly after that, we started to see injustice and problems and mistakes and sins and all of those slowly, slowly, until you are born into a world like today. Like, you know, this Muhammad, this brother who put himself on fire in Tunisia, he was born into a world knowing nothing, nothing other than injustice. That's all he known in his life. Okay? But then the messenger, he continues... Then Allah will bring and come with justice. Where every time something of justice comes, the same amount of injustice disappears. Until people will be born into a world of justice who know nothing other than it. Subhanallah. Meaning the world will be purified. Justice will return. Until somebody, imagine, until somebody is born knowing other than, they only know is Islam. All they know is justice. They've never seen any Oppression, subhanAllah, that is the type of world which is coming. And there are many other narrations as well, I will summarize, I will only mention one of them, because of time, which is talking, is a very interesting one. It is talking about the capital of the Islamic rule. Okay, so in the past, the capital of the Islamic state, Rasulullah has mentioned in a hadith of the Prophet, he has talked about which places will become the capital. The capital is where? Is where? is where the Khalifa or the Imam of the Muslims lives, right? So the capital of the UK is what? London, right? The Prime Minister is in London, right? The same thing in, the, in, in Islam, where the Imam of the Muslims, that's the capital. So he said, this matter, i.e. the Islamic rule, will continue after me in Medina. Then to Asham. Asham is the area of Syria, Jordan, Palestine. And we know in the time of Banu Umayyah, the capital of the Islamic rule was where? Damascus, Asham. Then to Iraq, in the time of Banu Abbas, it was Baghdad was the capital of the Islamic rule. Then to the city, okay, I'll explain what that means at the end. Then to Baytul Maqdis, so if it reaches Baytul Maqdis, which is Palestine, Jerusalem, then it would have reached its natural resting place, and no people would be able to remove it from their land and will ever get it back again. Okay, so the scholars here, they explain, what does it mean the city? First, so the Prophet said, after me, Medina, which, which is true, of course the messenger said it, so it's true. That's what happened. Okay, it's a prediction of the future. After that, Asham, true. After that, Iraq, that's what happened. And the city, at that time, Constantinople was known as the city of Harakal, the city of Heraclius. It was known as the city, it was one of the most powerful cities in the world. Okay, and the Muslims conquered that. And it became the capital of who? Ban Uthman, the Uthmanis, the Ottoman state. The last period of the Islamic state, the Khilafah, was in Istanbul. The name before was Islambul. They renamed it Islambul. Bul in Turkish means city. Islambul, the city of Islam. That's a, they've changed it now. Istanbul. They want to remove Islam from the equation. Subhanallah. Okay. But then the Prophet ﷺ has told us that then it will be in Baytul Maqdis, Jerusalem. Has the capital of the Islamic rule ever been in Jerusalem before? No. 
Islam has ruled over Jerusalem, but it has never been the capital. Umar ibn Khattab, he conquered Jerusalem. And Salah al-Din reconquered it when the Crusaders took it, right? So we had it before, but it was never the capital, never where the center of the Islamic power. So again, that is, we know, that is going to be a future, we don't know if it's going to be the first, but a future capital of the Islamic rule will be Jerusalem. Okay? So we need to realize, and I'm going to end with a hadith just to make us realize our responsibility. As I said at the beginning, we can't be detached from this situation. We can't say we are living in London, we are thousands of miles away, I've got nothing to do with this. No. Rasulullah told us, Man ra'a minkum munkaran. Whoever amongst you sees an evil, change it. You have to be part of the struggle. I have to be part of the struggle for change. Change is not going to be easy. There's still a long road to go. We have to work for that. Okay? And how do we work? By your hand, meaning with whatever power you have. As long as you are capable. And if you cannot, then by your tongue. As long as you are capable. Meaning we all have a tongue here. Right? So we have the ability to speak and to be part of this struggle. How many people from Egypt live in UK? 30,000 people in this country are born in Egypt. You know that? Right? What's happening on the street is connected. We live in a global village. Rasulullah talked about talked about the future. The world will become a small place. Not physically. Right? It doesn't mean physically. Time will seem... You know, a, a you know, month will be like a week. Doesn't mean actually. It means that it will seem like that. The globalization. Okay. So the reality today, the religious affairs minister in Libya currently, the new one, he was an imam in Manchester. The deputy prime minister of Somalia was a supply teacher in London. <laughs> reality is in the newspapers. Right. You understand? So we live in a world where this da'wah has an impact everywhere. So we have to end in Bangladesh, the struggle for Khilafah is going on there. In Pakistan, all the Muslim countries, we are working for that change. So we need to be part of that struggle, you know, and we should not stand back. We should do as best we can. Uh, and may Allah Azza wa Jal give us the strength and ability to do that. Thanks for downloading this podcast. You can subscribe to it from our blogspot at centralmod.blogspot.com to receive our weekly podcast. Assalamu alaikum.